Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Brave New Workforce, the podcast that is changing the way the world works. Um, my name is Anna Kadina, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Trip Odell and Larry Cornett. Now, um, today's episode is one that I was a little confused by by the title alone when a Trip sent over the first um, first draft about it. What I mean. Anna, like, have you ever not been to a, a pants optional party or a pants? Like, I mean, what's wrong with pants optional interview? I mean, I mean, that's everyday <laughs> living, really. But the world doesn't need to know that. Well, no, I and I, I'm I, as a good Catholic secret. boy. Yeah, as a good Catholic boy, I've never been to a pants optional party. Not that I never wanted to be invited. It just never happened for me. Oh, well, but, you got to come like, over to Costa Rica, man. They've got some parties here. Apparently. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think like when we're talking about work from home and a lot of people are talking about zoom fatigue and, and that sort of thing. Like it's really about like, how do you present your best self in the same way that you'd show up in a, you know, depending on your industry, a coat and tie for an interview or dress your best. It's really about how do you present yourself in the most positive light as people are trying to get back to work in this post COVID economy now. And that changes from industry to industry. I mean, Larry can tell you, just as well as I can. The first job I got in Silicon Valley, they said, oh, good, you showed up in a bowling shirt and not a suit and tie. We laughed the last guy that wore a tie out of here. Uh, you know, we didn't hire him, but that's not, we didn't hire him because of not the tie, but a little bit because of the tie. So Larry, like, am I off base here? No, I remember, you know, I, I had my vision of what IBM was when I got a job with IBM, my very first tech job out in the Valley. So I showed up yeah, my first interview, or maybe it was my first day, like with a, a suit and kind of a tie and everything. And my boss met me and he was in a t-shirt and shorts. And he said, uh, that'll be the last day you wear a tie. Don't do that again. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's definitely not very formal, at least on the West Coast. But, but I think like that goes from industry to industry, like in, you know, still very much in New York or where I grew up in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Like there are guys in Washington, D.C. that rock a bow tie unironically because it's almost like signaling like which tribe they belong to. Or you hear about <laughs> the power tie on Wall Street or in different yeah. parts of the country. There's different expectations. But I think there are good general best practices around how to project an impression, even if you're not in the same room, even if you are recording from your garage uh, in in Seattle, like I do, which I, you know, I don't call it a garage. I call it my 400 square foot private office with floor to ceiling windows and an unobstructed view of my car, right? Like th there, there are differences and there's right ways to do it. And Anna, I'm sure you can talk about the right ways to do it because you've always had to make an impression from a distance. How do you, how do you talk about that stuff? It's interesting because of the pandemic, I've actually been hearing a lot of interviews or um, podcast interviews about how people can be more professional. I mean, wearing a t-shirt to, I mean, a zoom meeting might not always be the best move. I'm always wearing like a blouse or something button up to showcase that I own a shirt that is more than one color. And so there's several different ways, I guess, you can look good. Usually I lock my cat away, make sure it's not wandering across the, the screen. Dogs, you know, same thing. 
Uh, I mute my phone so that there's not bings and rings in the background. These are all very like critical steps to having a professional looking interview. Then they're little details, but they're noticeable when they crop up. Like having your cat walk across the screen when you're trying to interview is like the worst thing that could possibly happen. So when in, when you have a seamless sort of interview where things aren't kind of going awry, it just makes for an easier time to build rapport. You can focus on building the rapport piece instead of uh, worried about everything that's running around in the background. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. Uh, I got up admittedly a little late the other day. I mean, I've been time shifting my schedule as we're working remote. Like I, I generally online around 10 AM, but oftentimes I'm working until one, two o'clock in the morning and I kind of snack my work throughout the day. Uh, but I got up the other day and my wife is like, Oh, you've got a meeting in like 15 minutes. Aren't you going to shower? And I was like, why would I shower for a video meeting? Like if I'm going to put on a nicer shirt than I am to worry about like those sorts of things. So your stack rank of things around how you, uh, what you prioritize for that kind of meeting implicitly changes, right? I mean, that's kind of what you, what you said, you, you put on a nice blouse, you make sure that the cat's out of the room, you want to be present and focused on the meeting. Like, you know, Anna, you definitely, I think nailed it there, but like, Larry, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, Part of what you have to do is, and Anna was alluding to this earlier, is just be prepared ahead of time. So I think the one thing that is a little bit different about having uh, an interview or a meeting that's going to be completely remote than you would in person is you got to make sure your camera's set up. You got to make sure your background isn't distracting or have something that shouldn't be in the shot, which you know a few people do. Uh, noise issues, all that kind of stuff. But I think you do want to be a little more prepared than you normally would be in an in-person meeting. Um, and that's one of the advantages is that if it's an audio only type of interview, so let's say it's on the phone or it's, you know, with video off, which sometimes it is, you can actually have some bulleted notes ready. So you're able to kind of structure your thoughts and be a little more clear in the discussion or in the interview than you would be in person. Uh, but if it's a video interview, yeah, you can't do that. So you're going to have to prepare just as you would for an in-person type of meeting. But the, the big key difference is get your equipment set up, test the software, make sure your background is quiet, um, things like that. Because I think people, they never anticipate how much complexity there is in making sure the mic's working or the right mic is selected, the right output selected. The software isn't trying to push an update the last minute because that always happens too. So you just, yeah. you need to give yourself a little more time. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like every time about 15, even 20 minutes before my meeting, I will make sure my microphone and camera are good to go, even though I know that they're pretty reliable. It's just that it's, there's nothing worse when somebody comes in for, you know, a three o'clock meeting and it's like, oh, I can't hear you. What's wrong with the mic? And we got to fiddle and diddle for that in order for us to get to the point, you know? So just taking like the extra few minutes to making sure everything's working, it really goes over a long way. And I mean, with my background, I purposely restructured my desk situation so that you couldn't see uh, where heavy foot traffic was in my house. You know, it's, it's pointed, to, the camera's pointed to my wall. And unless there's ghosts coming through it, everything should be fine. Uh, on that front in terms of distractions <laughs> and things like that. So 
it's those little details, especially that now that you're working from home, you might not consider. I mean, maybe your desk is pointed towards um, the kitchen. And so you see people walking back and forth and that distracts the person interviewing you or even trying to have a Zoom meeting with you um, because the eye will always be attracted to movement, right? And if something's moving in the background, that's that's where the eyes are going to naturally go. There are some differences. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Is that I think it's a little easier to emote when there's a human being sitting physically in front of you. So I think the subtle things that we do, the little micro gestures, the facial expressions, the smiling, comes more naturally when we're in the physical presence of another person. On video, if you've noticed, a few people seem to do this well, but a lot of them just sit there with expressionless faces. <laughs> And it's, it's because they're staring at a screen or into the camera and you have to force yourself to be a little more expressive and, and have emotions minus the body gestures. Cause I caught myself doing this the other day. I was making all my hand gestures. I always do when I talk and I was like, wow, that's not even on screen. It just looks like I'm kind of twitching and acting <laughs> really strange on camera. And that does create, I think, you know, Trip, you were talking about this earlier. It's a real phenomenon that you get zoom fatigue because you're trying to pick up on what people are saying without all of the other cues you normally would have in person. And so cognitively, it, you're overloading yourself and it's very real. People are like, I just had like a couple of video meetings. Why am I so tired? I read an article and someone said, I had a couple of hours of meetings and then I had to take a nap. I was like absolutely drained and I didn't understand what was happening to me. And it's, it's the Zoom fatigue effect. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's an element of this where it is very much about a performance. And that's one of the things that I do with my coaching clients, Larry, as you know, we've talked about is I do a lot of behavioral interview coaching because it's something that's heavily used in tech and a lot of people need that kind of preparation. And it's like, how do you prepare for this to reduce the cognitive load? And I think honestly, the way that you and I look at this from like we both have a background, you you have a PhD. My master's degree is really more in the cognitive science of how people interact with media. Is they they may feel like they're like a bug under a microscope, but honestly, those details matter. Like even as we're looking at this recording, Anna has her name in on the screen. You have your email address, and that they've randomly assigned me as proactive spokesperson <laughs> on this video track. Because I didn't have time to prepare and put in my proper name. And I've seen people like there's, I think there's going to be a whole sort of good manners aspect to this on like, what's the right way to do this? Um, Anna, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, actually, I started out my career in customer service, um, telephone, telemarketing. So I was the person people were screaming at during lunch all, or dinner all the time. And But you know what? It made me realize that the voice on over the phone is just really important, especially when people can't see you. So how do you highlight that and get people engaged with just only using your voice? And one of the tips that the trainers would give you is, you know, you got to smile and dial. I hate it. But it's very helpful. And also, I think a good tip for webcam or if you're going to do like a video, always have the webcam showing your hands so that when you are speaking, you can kind of emote and people realize that you're not twitching like Larry just said. But <laughs> um, for sure, I mean, also in being in radio, even the guys are 
they're usually standing up when they're doing their radio stuff or they're definitely moving their hands and, you know, emoting with their body because the voice can can highlight a lot of those movements without actually visually like seeing it. Um, so those are just little tips to keep in mind when, when talking, like, it's not a bad thing to just move your hands, you know, just make sure that the person sees you moving your hands and, um, the way you can like elevate your voice, make it happy, make it sad, or, you know, bring it down. It also brings a lot to the conversation when you're doing a virtual, uh, meetup. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the smile because it's, it's funny. I just read some research just a couple months ago where they had people, who couldn't see the other person on the other end of the line talking and then doing different types of smiles, like a real genuine smile, a small smile, you know, medium. They were doing all these different types of smiles, categories of smiles. And they asked the person listening, is that person smiling? Is it a small smile? Is it a big smile? Is it a whatever? And it was amazing how accurate people were. They could recognize when someone was smiling just from the tone of their voice. Oh yeah, I would like to actually make a make a note. Like when I was doing uh, phone sales, um, sometimes I'd have to be on the phone with somebody for an hour. You know, it's like how do you keep somebody engaged for one hour, a stranger over the phone? And it it had a lot to do with like positive attitude and um, just keeping people engaged and interested. So when you think about and that's just vocal, you know what I mean? So with video, I feel like it would be just so much easier if you if people can see you genuinely being a positive and happy like person on camera, you know? So one thing as, a, as an aside, Anna, um, I just want to say that like smile and dial seems like the worst job description for Anna Kodina ever uh, because was- you're so honest and, and like, like just transparent and authentic that like I love... I love how salty you can get, and it seems like just always being chipper and and, and perky is not. Can, can not you believe I was like the top person in that job? Oh no, not like hundred percent. Oh, I can believe like, it. I, w- I would absolutely believe that. Because everybody was that, so jaded, yeah. and I was just like, "Let's do this today, guys." <laughs> <laughs> but but like I mean, that's the thing that that like Larry and I love working with you is that you are so driven and you are so so like like on it like even if you hate like being that person you're going to be the best version of that person in there but i think like there's a there's a way to communicate like who you actually are without being that phony yeah 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 because that's that that's the whole thing like the implication of smile and dial is like here's the person that i really am not during the week but like i want you to believe that i am and that's not the job you ever want to get so i think like the purpose of this like you know, this, this, this episode is really to talk about like, how do you convey who you actually are over video? And it's not really awkward and stilted. And yeah, we've all worked on that in various ways. And it's really hard, especially you haven't spent a lot of time on video uh, or listening to your own voice speak. It sounds very different. That can be really uncomfortable if you're not used to it. And it takes some time. But there are some tricks that can build your confidence uh, for when you do have that important meeting, you know, whether it's just locking up the kids and the cat or it's something else. 
Yeah, and I would just suggest to people, you don't have to dial it up to, you know, 80% when you're on phone sales or anything like that. Like, just bring up, bring out like 10, 15% of, of, of you, you know what I mean? Um, you want to just be a little more happier, I guess, uh, than usual. <laughs> and, um, and, and that translates further on a phone call or a video phone call than it would in person, you know? Yeah, I do think the, the cue to stand up is a good one. So, you know, if it's a whole afternoon of interviews with people, four hours or more, you're not going to stand for four hours. I mean, I've, I've done that. I have a standing desk and before you know it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sore. I've been standing for so long. But if it's a short interview, less than an hour, standing up is really good for your confidence, really good for your energy. You feel more natural. Your voice sounds better. So I think it's a cue that a lot of people don't think about because they tend to just sit down at a desk. And I, I don't think they realize how powerful it can be just to stand up and take that call. Uh, so, so even how you stand is important. One of the things when I'm on these calls, I find that I'm doing is, is that I spread, I spread my legs, uh, like when I'm standing to about shoulder width apart, or maybe even a little bit more to get this really sort of like they, these are tricks that they teach you in public speaking. But there's all sorts of tricks that I do around, not just in terms of how I'm using my body, but um, how I'm organizing the environment around the call. It's really hard to remember that you don't, the people that are, unless you're sharing your screen, the people that are watching you perform on camera don't see what you see. Uh, and so you have to set that up so that you can respond in a way where you have the information in place. So, you know, that standing erect, squaring your shoulders, using your arms allows you to have diaphragmatic speaking in a way where you can hit those lower registers and project that confidence. Uh, those motions allow you to make your point. Your, your, your voice is going to make that point, but also what you have on screen behind the picture, uh, especially in a high stakes experience, like an interview, where it's a job you really want, can help set you up to have a really meaningful and focused conversation. I mean, yeah. isn't that right, Larry? I was going to say that's one of the, the hard lessons I've learned, you know, from being in the industry a long time and trip you have too, is that nothing's 100% reliable. <laughs> so it's like, there's, there's two things I was going to say based on what you were just saying. One is, a little trick is to move the, the window of the other person up underneath your webcam. So adjust the window as much as you can. Sometimes they'll let you, the software's getting better about moving stuff around so that you can choose which window is where, but you want to be able to look at that person's video and have it be close to the webcam. So it's kind of like you're looking into their eyes. So that's a lot more uh, engaging than you staring at your own video. The other trick is do enough of these that you stop staring at yourself on video. I mean, it was one of the jokes going around about the the whole Zoom era that we're in right now is people are like, I can't stop looking at myself. And that's that's not what you want to do if you want to be engaging. But I was going to say that I learned the hard way not to have my notes on my laptop because I've had software crash. I had my laptop crash. So I actually do printed notes or you could have a whiteboard behind your, your monitor or behind your laptop so that you can quickly look at them. Because I had one session where it crashed completely and my laptop restarted and I had to quickly use my phone going old school, which is kind of funny. I'd use my phone to call the person 
And then I was able to work off my notes that I had printed out while my computer was rebooting. And so we continued with, you know, just a little bit of a blip, but we were talking on the phone. I had my notes and just things were pretty seamless. I'd learned the hard way before that, that that can sometimes take 10, 15 minutes. And so I never wanted to have that happen again. Yeah, that's actually a really good tip. Um, Another point is that if you can't, for whatever reason, stand up while you're on a a video call or or an important interview, do it beforehand. Um, Just kind of get the blood flowing. There's actually this really good TED Talk um, by a woman who I don't remember her name, but she actually recommends a couple of stance positions that you can do in the bathroom to before important presentation, obviously in person. And you can do those in, uh, in the comfort of your own home before you get on the call and um, test things out. So if you can't, if you don't have the luxury of a standing desk, like, <laughs> like Larry, we, you can still, um, you can still incorporate these things sitting down. I think that's uh, Amy Cuddy, just for the listeners. If you look, it's a TED talk that Amy Cuddy give about, uh, it's about the power stance. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think there's a, there's an element too of like, you need to do what works for you. So, you know, I, I I know that you two are probably going to silently judge me, but I put my video feed above the person that I'm talking to (laughs) directly below the camera, not because... I'm a narcissist. It's just uh, that I'm told I'm told that sure? I have um, <laughs> I have resting grump face uh, and uh, and when I'm talking, and so the ability to kind of see how I'm looking on camera uh, is helpful for me, and I can kind of follow those social cues. Like I know what that that look like that look means for me. And it allows me to kind of control my response. So I know myself well enough that I, when I don't have that view, I don't always know. People are like, what's wrong, bro? And it's like, I'm just thinking. But apparently it take, I have to do it so hard that I look angry that I'm thinking. Um, you know, like those sorts of responses I want to be able to control. The other thing that I think is different than Larry is... I lay out, I have like this terrorism map, especially if I'm in a long day of meetings that are interrelated, where I will prepare all the things that I want to talk about. And I will anticipate questions and have thought about that stuff and game plan those meetings ahead of time so that I've, I've prepared. It's like a, like a team practicing before the big game. I know that I'm ready and that builds my confidence. My body language builds my confidence. I'm able to project that authentically. And I was like in one school playing in high school and it feels the same getting off a call. There's that rush when you know you've done well, but man, am I tired. I've worked really hard. And I think like that's a different podcast around meeting culture, but I think prepping, prepping yourself for those high stakes meetings is crucial in this day and age. Anna, do you do you agree? You've been doing. You're sort of the grand old maid of doing this, having done it for 13 years. Like how how do you how do you think about this? You know, it, it's I'm definitely not perfect. I remember I was on a team meeting with a client just to share client horror stories. I was on a team meeting with a client and we had to listen to this really awful like audio recording and it was being played back through the client's speakers. So it was very difficult. The audio quality in itself of this of this audio sales training was very difficult to listen to, 
put it through speakers, it was like doubly difficult. So I was literally sitting there turning my ear to the camera, just naturally trying to like focus all my energy on hearing this audio recording. And I was writing notes down and I was being very intense looking. And later, like after, you know, this, this meeting, the client messages me privately and says, you need to smile more. And you looked so discontent on that call. (laughs) And I was like, um, HR violation phrasing, (laughs) they didn't have a, it was a small company, so they didn't exactly have HR ready to, to help with that. But it's kind of also, if you're, if you're perhaps the, uh, CEO or the, the manager in this situation, you've got to kind of like take all things into consideration. They might be super, super grumpy, but if they're writing notes and paying attention, like what more do you, what, what do you want? Do you want your person to be super happy on right, the, on the right. video or do you want them to actually take away the the main subject matter at hand? So uh, a little bit of forgiveness, I think is, um, is important on both sides, you know, like, of course, if you're the one trying to nail the interview, if you, of course, you want to be as happy and positive and, and um, proactive in that. But again, if you're the guy that's, they're already on your team, you know, they're a good worker. Um, be a little gentle, I think, because I, one of the quest- follow up questions was like, are you discontent with my work? And the, the question was, no, no, you're like, you're great. You're, you know, you're uh, really like you on the team, this and this. So I'm like, so why does it matter? If I'm not smiling on a team meeting when I'm trying to take notes, you know, so it's kind of like pick those pick those battles too at the same time, like mm-hmm. be proactive and at the same time, if you're a manager, t- t- be easy on your people. Yeah, that's a good point. And it, I was thinking about this from the manager side. So we've been talking a lot from the candidate side, but if you think about the employers who are conducting these interviews, it's like realize that the other person is probably not as familiar with this as you are because as a hiring manager you're interviewing hundreds of people sometimes thousands you know this poor candidate they're not as practiced as you are so you have to give them a little more leniency you have to try to make them feel comfortable i think you should really make an extra effort to put people at ease at the beginning be kind and schedule breaks because i i saw somebody had like four hours of interviews back to back so they had, you know, team after team dialing into the Zoom to interview this poor candidate with no breaks. It's like four hours of video interviews with no break at all. So you have to think about that as the hiring manager, as the recruiter, whoever's responsible for that schedule, put some breaks in there and give people a chance to kind of stretch their legs and go get a drink of water or something, because that's that's pretty hardcore. Yeah. And well, I mean, I, despite 13 years of experience, you know, you, you still get these hiccups. So don't think that we're all perfect in, in this in this arena. I mean, we're all human at the end of the day. So a little bit of leniency and forgiveness can go a long, long way, especially if you know that they have good qualities and, you know, hardworking. Well, and I'm going to use a loaded word here. I mean, there's a there's a degree of privilege that goes with this where, uh, you know, a male manager telling you, Anna, who's a high performer doing that job. He was the founder. So it was even worse. Telling you that you should smile more. Like how much of that bias gets brought over for women and minorities? I mean, like, like like, uh, Larry and I have some, some privilege in terms of being old white guys. Right. But Mm -hmm. 
if we if we even extend that to introverts versus extroverts, I've heard a lot of managers talking about like how do you keep your team engaged on Zoom? Do you have like <laughs> camera on required? Oh, uh, and which yeah. I think is like such there's such a differential in power there where they would never feel you know safe enough to say, hey boss, turn on your camera. I need to see your face versus you projecting down, hey, you work for me, turn on your camera right. so I can make sure you're here and that you're paying attention to every word that I say. Yeah. And so I think like that's part of the thing that needs to evolve with this on-site work life is that people know they have to be on in meetings and then they have this valve where they're all bitching about you behind your back uh, after the meeting. But like there's this release valve, right? That you don't get in video. Um, yeah, and I think it depends yeah. on what you're what you're doing too. Because I mean, if you're doing an interview and you want to kind of get a feel for the person, of course, video makes sense. But if you're just doing like a team huddle, that's going to be 10, 15 minutes. Does it really matter if if everyone's on video? You know, they got to say their piece. They got to do X, Y, Z, and that's it. You know, um, one of one another client of mine, he he also kind of made it requirement to have video on all times, no matter what. And there'd be guys driving to the site location with video on in their car. And it's like, that doesn't seem very safe sometimes, you know, but because that's what's the requirement, everybody was just feeling forced into having their video on even when they're driving in a car and not even looking at the camera, you know. So it, take it, take it, I want to say common sense, but, you know, common sense is not always so common. And um, like video is not always the end all be all to building a good uh, connection with somebody virtually is, is kind of the main point I want to drive home. Well, and even for businesses that they need to think about this differently because in the same way that there's the, he said, she said, and the bullying and so forth, as you're getting into remote and as you're getting into recorded meetings, how you perform on video and to whom makes a big difference, right? So uh, I think if you're in a superior position or in, as a leader, your camera being off is construed way differently uh, than than somebody who is a direct report or more junior to you. Is just like, is this person even listening to me? Are they disengaged? Are they just sort of listening in? Are they silently judging me behind this blank box uh, that I can't see them? And I've been in high stakes meetings with C-level folks at major corporations where it made sense for why they had their camera off, but I'm trying to present and pitch to this person and I can't see their face. I can't see their reaction. I can't see yeah, if I'm talking hard. too much. And you guys know that I am the king of babble on, right? Like I can talk too long when I'm getting nervous, but I use body language and what people's facial reactions are to gauge that, right? That's a, that's a need. And if I'm in an inferior position where I'm pitching to you, trying to get you to do something, or I'm trying, you're my boss, not being able to see your body language. We have to remember that we are evolved to be, you know, we have monkey brain, right? Like there is a social aspect to all of this. And just because the technology has changed doesn't mean that our, our behavior change or what we value in that behavior that social aspect has changed and that's something that you have to think differently about in an in a remote culture yeah i think that's a good point yeah 
Um, so let's uh, let's wrap this up. Where what what's kind of the main takeaway we want everybody to 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 learn from here? I think you know what the big takeaway for me is that people need to realize this takes a little more preparation than usual, and that there are some differences, and that practice makes perfect. One of the the things I was going to recommend that people do is record yourself. You know, record yourself speaking and doing your elevator pitch and answering a few questions, just so you can see what you look like. And if you are looking confident, you know, if you're making funny facial expressions, when you're talking about a past job at a company, maybe you weren't so happy about, and you're like, I've got to control that expression. So it really helps, I think, to kind of get that feedback so that when you go into the actual interview or a meeting or whatever it is, now you feel a lot more practiced and rehearsed and confident, but you have to give yourself a little more time to prepare for these things. I 100% agree, Larry. And, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot in sort of the coaching that we do. Um, you know, we do, like, I do something that is specifically remote with candidates where I record it. I go minute by minute, like game tape in the NFL, and I will highlight what I was reacting to or what you could be doing better. You know, and sometimes organizations need that. Sometimes individual needs that. We, we help with that. But I think genuinely you need to find the system and dial in on the system and think a little bit deeper about who your audience is and who you're trying to communicate to and set yourself up for success, whether it's printing it out ahead of time like Larry or creating that terrorism map in the background and all the things this person has written and what you've been able to figure out from LinkedIn like I do. Um, whatever's going to give you that confidence to give your best performance in that meeting it's important. And also not hold yourself to too high of a standard. Perfectionism is going to really make this harder for everybody. And I think there's just a little bit more understanding and a little bit more about people being cognizant about what their role in the organization is and how that could be perceived by people that are above and below them. The, the point, another point I would like to bring up that we didn't really touch on to too much on this call is kind of appearance. I know sometimes some of my female friends feel like they're getting judged more heavily than their male peers on these video calls, uh, which is unfortunate whether, you know, whether you want to get into that or not, but um, definitely take the time to work on uh, like putting on a good shirt that matches your color complexion, your skin tone. This applies for both male and female, because if it's something that washes you out, the people don't like have a harder time kind of relating to you if you look kind of like a white ghost that's blending into the wall. Um, so kind of put on maybe black shirt or red shirt or something that kind of makes you pop. Um, makeup, I don't personally wear makeup, but I know some female friends of mine prefer that because they like to feel more confident. It makes them feel confident. It gives them color to their face. And I mean, ang uh, anger, like a... News anchors, for example, wear makeup, both male and female, to to bring out kind of that pop in their in their facial structures and stuff like that. So that's uh, something to can think about, not necessarily do, but just think about how you present yourself, what kind of shirt looks best on you, and to wear those kind of clothing um, on on those video calls. You know, Anna, I know we're trying to wrap this episode up, um, but like one thing that this pandemic has really taught me a lot about everything that's gone on, but even in our conversations is how much I've taken for granted in terms of the privilege. Like I would never have to think about those sorts of things of like, what makeup am I going to wear? What color am I going to wear? I really have to worry about like, am I going to wear a hat on like how bald and old I look without a hat 
on the camera or versus not versus like counterbalancing that on the the uh like is a hat gonna look professional that's about it right yeah. so there's a layer there and i think that's going to be a recurring theme throughout this season i think one thing that would be really helpful and we've got our apprentices this summer who are our mystery guests we'll, we'll be introducing them later but we should be writing we're going to be putting out some articles about hey here's some really practical best tips on getting ready for that interview here are some really practical practical best tips on looking your best on camera um, I think those are things that we can do beyond these broader concepts. And uh, so look for those on the website, uh, subscribe to us. And if you, as a, as a professional need help or as a business need help on like, how do you get the right culture around video going, reach out. We're happy to help. So Trip, do you want to tell us a little bit about our next episode and what our listeners can look forward to? Yes. I am so looking forward to this episode. My old friend, Val Liberty, who was uh, sort of head of culture at uh, the smallest the smallest startup that everyone loves to love on in Silicon Valley, Balsamic. They are famous for their wireframing products uh, and sort of uh, empowering product managers to make ugly mock-ups for more than a decade, uh, but really sort of driving clarity. They've been 100% remote for more than 12 years, and Val was employee number two. She's one of the funniest, most genuine, absolutely thrilling people to talk to. And so I can't wait to introduce you guys in the audience to Val Liberty who from Balsamic, who's going to be just a great guest. And she's going to be talking to us about culture and the differences between in-person and a remote culture, as well as how to build a really strong uh, remote culture around your team. And as always, if you liked what you heard today, subscribe, email us, anything you'd like for us to cover, we're more than happy to take a look. And if you need help figuring out um, this transition between physical world to the brave new workforce, the digital world for your organization, we're here to help. Larry, where can they find out more? Well, if you want to check us out or keep updated on future episodes, you can visit either thebraveworkforce.com or bravenewcompanies.com. Well, that's Brave New Workforce. We're on a roll. Can't wait to hear from you guys next week. And until then, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Better days are ahead. <laughs>